evidence and answers. It seems that we hear about the religion of Islam daily in the news. What do Muslims believe? Do Jews, Christians, and Muslims worship the same God? Is the Jesus of Islam the same Jesus of the Bible? Do Muslims believe that in paradise they will be rewarded with heavenly virgins? What is fact and what is fiction? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a national and international speaker, teacher, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat explains the basic doctrines of Islam. Let's join Pat now for this informative study on the basic beliefs of Islam. Islam today represents one of the fastest and largest religions in the world, but it also represents one of the greatest threats, not only to Christianity, but to the entire free world. And so it's important we understand Islam, its history, and what it teaches. And so in this series, we're going to cover various facets of Islam. But first, we're going to begin with the history of Islam. Now today, there are about 1.4 billion Muslims in the world today. And Islam is the religion of all who believe. There is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And Islam means submission. Now. In order to understand Islam, we need to understand the history and the development of Islam. And so let's begin there. Now the origin of Muhammad's religion, Muhammad was influenced by various religions as he was growing up there in Mecca in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Now if you look at the Quran and the Hadith and the teachings of Muhammad, you can see that Muhammad borrowed from the other regional religions present there in the Mideast as he developed Islam. Now these religions include Judaism, Christianity, Gnostic and heretical forms of Christianity, Sabianism, Zoroastrianism, and other forms of the tribal or folk religions that were there in the Middle East. If you read books like the Arabian Nights, you can kind of understand the spiritual condition of the Middle East back then which influenced Muhammad in developing the religion of Islam. Judaism is the largest contributor to Islam followed by Christianity and then followed by the various tribal or folk religions there existing in the Middle East. The Kaaba Temple there in Mecca which Muhammad tribe was the guardian of was surrounded by 360 gods. That's the kind of religious setting we find that helped Muhammad develop his religion of Islam. Now as we go into the history of Islam and Muhammad, the sources that I'm going to be quoting are some of the most authoritative sources in Islam. First the Quran, which is considered the inspired and holy book of Islam. Then we have the Hadith, which was developed about a century or two later after the life of Muhammad that supposedly records the sayings of Muhammad. It's uh, one of the largest commentaries on the Quran, the second most important book in Islam. And then the third one that I'm going to quote from a lot is the oldest biography of Muhammad appearing about two centuries after the life of Muhammad by Ibn Ishaq. Those are my three primary sources that I'm going to be quoting here and that I get most of my information from. Those are three of the most authoritative sources in Islam. And then I'll be quoting some very well-respected Islamic theologians and scholars. But we begin first with the life of Muhammad. Now according to Islamic history, Muhammad was born somewhere about 570 AD and his family was part of the tribe in Mecca that oversaw the Mecca temple where the deities of Arabia were worshipped. 
So when caravans and traders would come to Mecca, they would go to the temple there and they would worship one of their many gods. And so that temple there in Mecca brought a lot of income and money for the people of Mecca there in the Middle East. Now, according to Islamic history, Muhammad's father died when he was very young and his mother died when he was six. Therefore, he was raised by his uncle and his aunt. At 25, Muhammad married his employer Khadija. She was a widow and very wealthy and involved in trade. She was a businesswoman. But being married to her and being wealthy now, this allowed him free time to go into the desert and into the caves there to meditate. Now, according to the folk religion of the Middle East there, it is believed that it's in these caves that many of these spirits and what's called the jinn would often dwell. At 40, it is believed that he began to receive revelations from the angel Gabriel. The record of the first visitation is recorded in chapter 96 of the Quran. But these were very violent encounters that Muhammad had with Gabriel, according to to the biographers that the angel Gabriel would grab Muhammad and shake him and choke him and he would often roll to the ground and fall into fits of rage and Muhammad questioned if these revelations were from God or from the devil he didn't know if this was a message from Allah or if he was demon-possessed according to the Hadith Bukhari volume 6 his wife Aisha wrote Aisha was one of the dozen wives of Muhammad, the youngest one. They married when she was six, and she states that they consummated their marriage when she was nine. But she writes this in the Hadith. Then Allah's messenger returned with that revelation and his heart severely beating, and the muscles between his neck and shoulders were trembling till he came upon us, Khadija, his wife, and said, Cover me. They covered him till his fear was over, and after that he said, Oh, Khadija, what is wrong with me? I'm afraid that something bad might happen to me. Then he told her all that happened. And so after Muhammad received these revelations, according to the Hadith, he was deathly afraid. And so he ran into his home and he hid under the blankets and he cried to his wife, Khadija, cover me, cover me. According to Ibn Ishaq, Muhammad stated, once again, Ibn Ishaq is the most authoritative and earliest biography of Muhammad. And Ibn Ishaq records this. Says that Muhammad said, And I came to Khadija and sat by her thigh and drew close to her. And she said, O Muhammad, where hast thou been? And I said to her, Woe's me, poet or possessed. And she said, I take refuge in God from that. God will not treat you thus. This cannot be, my dear. Perhaps you did see something. Yes, I did, I said. Then I told her what I had seen. And she said, Rejoice, O son of my uncle, and be of good heart. Muslim historian Haeckel Quoting the Hadith, writes this, he said, Stricken with panic, Muhammad arose and asked himself, What did I see? Did possession of the devil which I feared all along come to pass? Muhammad looked to his right and left, but saw nothing. For a while he stood there, trembling with fear and stricken with awe. He feared the cave might be haunted and that he might run away still unable to explain what he saw. So Muhammad did not know if he was possessed by the devil or if this was a revelation from God, but Muhammad was reassured and encouraged by his wife and his cousin-in-law, according to Ibn Ishaq, that indeed he was a prophet of God. Now, Muhammad struggled with this for a while. In fact, according to Ibn Ishaq, 
He thought he was demon-possessed. Not able to live with that humiliation, he was going to take himself up upon a high cliff and jump off and commit suicide. And so he struggled whether these revelations were from Allah or from the devil. That's quite different from the apostles and prophets in the Bible when they received revelations from the Lord or from the angel. They knew for sure it was from God. They didn't struggle whether they were demon-possessed or not. It's quite different how Muhammad received his revelations from that of the biblical writers. Now, since he could not write, his followers wrote the revelations, and these revelations were recorded and eventually became part of his collected writings called the Quran. Now, after his wife and cousin-in-law were able to convince him that he was a prophet of God, Muhammad claimed that the God of the Jews and the Christians appointed him as a prophet for the Arab peoples. So Muhammad believed that revelation was first given to the Jews, then the Christians, and finally given to him. And he began preaching his message in Mecca to the Christians and the Jews. However, they rejected his message. Now, the Quran is divided into two parts, you need to understand here. The Mecca surahs and the Medina surahs. Now, in the Mecca surahs, which you hear quoted quite a bit on TV today, Muhammad was more peaceful and tolerant to the Jews and the Christians because he was trying to win them over and present himself as a prophet or another apostle. However, when he was rejected, then he fled to the city of Medina in 622 AD in one of the most important events in the history of Islam called the Hajira, where he fled to Medina there. Now, in Medina, he became a leader of that city and gathered an army. And the Medina surahs then, he became very intolerant of those who rejected Islam. And we'll talk about that later. That's something you need to understand when reading the Quran. Early on, he was tolerant towards the Jews and the Christians because he was trying to win them over. But when he moves to Medina and he writes the Medina surahs, then he becomes very intolerant of them and does not tolerate those who do not believe his message. Now, early on when Muhammad preached there in Mecca, he sought the affirmation of the Jews and the Christians. Now, Muhammad was rejected by the Christians and the Jews for several reasons. First, the Jews believed that the prophets of God were confirmed by miracles and repeatedly throughout the Quran, they asked Muhammad, show us a sign that we may know you are the prophet of Allah for the prophets are confirmed by miracles. And Muhammad refused to perform any. He could not perform any. In some places, he simply says, look at the Quran, you know, and that is enough. Secondly, Muhammad displayed a distorted view and knowledge of the Old and New Testaments. For example, chapter 7 of the Quran Muhammad taught that Adam and Eve sinned in paradise and then were cast down to the earth. In chapter 28 of the Quran, Muhammad taught Haman the Persian in the book of Esther was an associate of Pharaoh in the days of Moses. That's an error of over 900 years. Muhammad confused King Saul and Gideon, teaching Saul chose 300 warriors from 10,000 by observing how they drank water in chapter 2 of the Quran. Well, if you're familiar with the story of Gideon, that's the story of Gideon, not of King Saul. Muhammad taught a Jewish legend that at Mount Sinai, the Jews did not accept the Ten Commandments, so God coerced them by lifting up Mount Sinai and held it in the sky above them, threatening the Jews to accept the law or be crushed by the mountain.
In chapter 20 of the Quran, Muhammad taught that the Samaritans tricked Moses during the Exodus and the people of Israel. But if you know your history, the Samaritans did not exist till a thousand years later. Now the Jews, seeing Muhammad's erroneous teachings, rejected him as a prophet. In fact, the Hadith records that the Jews taunted and criticized Muhammad on intellectual grounds. Muhammad thus chose then to exterminate the Jews, for they recognized his erroneous teachings. Now about a year and a half after the migration to Medina, so as a result of being rejected in Mecca, he migrated with the few followers he had to Medina. And there he became a leader and united the Arab clans there who were fighting amongst one another. Now he began to gather a following and to sustain his growing army then, he became involved in raiding commercial caravans to obtain financial reward and impress the Meccans of his growing power. And chapter 22 and chapter 2 and chapter 4 of the Quran is Muhammad believed he received revelation from Allah endorsing his raids. Now Muhammad's teachings on heaven enticed men to join Islam. It appears that Muhammad twisted the Christian teaching on heaven and turned it into what appears to be a sexual fantasy land for men. He wrote throughout the Quran, chapter 38, 44, 55, 56 of the Quran, that those who die in martyrdom would be rewarded with a harem of virgins, and this enticed men to join him on the raids and in battle. Chapter 56, verse 34 through 36 of the Quran, Muhammad taught that the women in heaven would be perpetual virgins, a rare creation. Later on states, we have made them ever virgins. That's chapter 56 of the Quran, and there's others which I'll talk about later on in this series. Now, Muhammad's teaching clearly contradicts what the Bible teaches, that there's no marriage or sex in heaven, according to Jesus' teaching. Good place to look there is Mark chapter 12. Now, the Meccans realizing the threat that Muhammad posed and that he was harming their trade and that they're losing a lot of valuable assets as Muhammad was raiding these caravans on their way to Mecca, therefore came out to meet Muhammad in battle. And in several series of key battles, Muhammad fought against the Meccan army. The first one in 624 AD is known as the Battle of Badr. After receiving a report of a large caravan coming, Muhammad gathered 300 men to attack. Now, the Meccan army was out there to meet him in battle. Outnumbered three to one, they met there at the Battle of Badr, and there Muhammad won a great victory. And he felt that this solidified his calling to be a prophet, and that God and the angels had fought for him. In chapter 8 of the Quran, he writes, Rouse the believers to fight. If there are 20 among you, patient and persevering, they will vanquish 200. If a hundred, they will vanquish a thousand of the unbelievers. As a result of this great victory at Bader, Muhammad wrote in chapter 8 of the Quran that the victories entitle Muslims to appropriate possessions as booty. Chapter 98 of the Quran, those who reject Islam, he says, are, quote, the vilest of creatures and thus deserve no mercy. Chapter 47 of the Quran, those who oppose Muhammad or his people deserve a humiliating death by beheading. Now, those were the teachings and the practices of Muhammad there. 
Now, next year, the Meccans returned with an even larger army and met Muhammad and his men at the Battle of Uhud in 625 AD. And there, the Meccans defeated Muhammad and his army. Muhammad retreated back to Medina, and the Meccans returned back to Mecca. But during the following days, Muhammad continued to raid caravans on their way to Mecca. And so the Meccans, two years later in 627 AD, seeking to finally put an end to Muhammad and his army, in the spring of 627 AD, they launched an attack on the city of Medina, lay siege to the city in hopes of crushing Muhammad and his army once and for all. Now, Muhammad, being a master strategist, dug a large trench around the city of Medina, and thus the Meccan army was unable to capture Muhammad and eventually withdrew. Now, Muhammad felt that he had been betrayed by the Jews of the city, and according to Ibn Ishaq, he marched up to 700 of the Jewish men out of the city, took them and had them kneel at the trenches and beheaded them and sold the women and children off into slavery. Now, after that battle, a temporary peace treaty was signed between Muhammad and the Meccan army, but that did not last very long, was soon broken. And in 630 AD, with 10,000 men, Muhammad surrounded the city of Mecca, and the Meccans did not resist him, and he captured the city of Mecca. After capturing the city of Mecca, Muhammad sent letters throughout the Middle East, ordering the towns and the cities to convert to Islam and join him or meet the sword. And so it is through jihad that Islam was spread throughout the Middle East. And Muhammad died just two years later in June of 632 AD. Now, Ibn Ishaq, remember the oldest biographer of the life of Muhammad, records that in all Muhammad fought in nearly 30 battles in the rise and spread of Islam there. So as you can see, Muhammad was a warrior and spread Islam through the sword. Now following Muhammad were four caliphs. As soon as he died, there was a division in Islam, which remains to this day between the Sunnis and the Shiites. The Sunnis are the majority and the Shiites are the minority. But a big battle occurred, and one of the main issues was who should succeed Muhammad. The Sunnis believe it should be the most worthy and loyal disciple. The Shiites believe it should be a blood relative. And since Muhammad didn't have a son, it should go to Ali, Ali the nephew of Muhammad. Well, a battle was fought, and the Sunnis were victorious, and Abu Bakr, one of the first and most loyal disciples of Muhammad became the Caliph of Islam. Well, he died shortly after, two years later, in 634 AD, and he was followed by Umar. Umar was a Sunni, and he reigned for about 10 years, but then many believe that he was assassinated by the third Caliph. His name was Uthman. Uthman ruled for about 12 years, from 644 to about 656 AD, and he was then assassinated, many feel, by the next guy, Ali. Now, the Sunnis and Shiites went to battle again, and this time the Shiites won, and they got their man in, Ali. And Ali ruled only for five years, from 656 to 661 AD, but a fierce battle arose. In fact, even Aisha, 
who was Mohammed's youngest and most favorite wife, the one he married when she was six, and they consummated their marriage at nine, she writes. She even opposed Ali and fought against him in the Battle of the Camel. According to the Hadith, she had held a grudge against Ali because he urged Muhammad to divorce her at one time. Well, in this battle at the Battle of Camel, nearly 10,000 Muslims were killed. But that battle you see in the Middle East today between the Sunni and the Shia there in Iraq has been going on for centuries since the death of Muhammad. So for nearly 1,400 years, they have been at war with one another. So that's what you see going on in the Middle East today. And so the United States there in the Middle East trying to establish a peaceful democracy between these groups, it's a very difficult thing because you're talking about two groups that have been at war with one another for nearly 1,400 years. So it's different from, you know, something like the Hatfields and the McCoys. I mean, this battle between these two groups has been going on since the death of Muhammad. And so it's deeply difficult to establish a democracy, a peaceful democracy uh, with these two groups there. So our troops and our leaders really need wisdom and prayer and a really understanding of the history and beliefs of Islam if they hope to establish some kind of peaceful government there. Ali was Muhammad's son-in-law. The Shiites believe that Ali should be his successor. Now, these four caliphs, through military means, conquered and converted the Middle East by 750 A.D. Now, when you study the history of Muhammad and Islam and you study that of Christianity, the two are very different. Christianity was spread through the preaching and teaching of the word, not through the sword. Jesus preached and taught his message, and those who did not believe him, he did not assassinate or persecute. You know, as Jesus taught his disciples, he shook the dust off his feet. Jesus died for those whom he came to save. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the apostles, when they began to spread Christianity, they spread it through the teaching and the preaching and the power of the message of the truth of God's inspired word and the miraculous life of Jesus Christ. When you study the history of Islam, Muhammad was a warrior and Islam was spread through jihad. People ask me, what is the reason for the success in the spread of Christianity and Islam? Well, two different factors. Christianity was spread by the truth of the preaching of the message and the power of love. Those are powerful, powerful forces there, and that accounts a lot. And the power of the Holy Spirit accounts a lot for the success and spread of Christianity throughout the world. Islam was spread through the sword. And that's also a very powerful motivation here. Well, this concludes our brief study in the history, the rise and development of Muhammad and the religion of Islam. When we come back together next time, we're going to study the basic beliefs of Islam and go over some of the basic teachings of Islam. So I look forward to seeing you next time here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us right here on Evidence and Answers. I hope you're enjoying the series on Islam. 
If you missed any part of this show or would like to order the entire series, please log on at evidenceandanswers.org. This show relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us here next time as we continue our series on Islam right here on Evidence and Answers.